Hello. <laughs> we were t- we were discussing who was going to intro this week, and I do not regret leaving it up to you. Thank you. I was just going to say I'm not Richard S. He. So I know we yeah we could take the easy way out and just use Richard's audio every <laughs> week, but that that would be yeah bit bit too slack of us. Welcome to Punk Goes Pod, the internet's only podcast that delves into the universe of the Punk Goes Ellipses series from Fearless Records. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to this week. This is going to be a good one. Yeah, this is going to be great. You kind of teased it in the intro there a little bit. I did, in case you couldn't tell from my perfect pitch. Um, that was a reference to this week's song being Everlong by the Foo Fighters, as covered by The Colour Morale. Um, and that they covered it for, where are we? Punk Goes 90s, Volume 2, back in 2014. So can you confirm, did you do the original vocals on the song and then Dave Grohl edited over them himself, like re-recorded them Oh, himself? yeah. Yeah? So, like, 97, so I was six. Six. And yeah, somehow he was just like, oh, hell yeah. She's, she's got it. I don't know why I keep thinking, 97, that was a good year. I don't remember fuck all about 1997. I moved over here from New Zealand, so it was good for me. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, no, no, definitely. I was the inspiration for all of it. Like, yeah. Nevermind um, was released in 91, the year I was born. So, yeah, pretty nuts. Hey. Trying to think what, um, <laughs> yeah, I can't. I, I know something happened in '89. Taylor Swift was also born. <laughs> sure, I'll share it, a birth year with Taylor Swift. It it blows my mind that you're older than Taylor Swift. Why? I don't know. Anyway, she. I think ever since Lord became a thing, and she's so much younger, like it just kind of makes me hate myself. I always just assume that celebrities are older than me, even though that's absolutely not the case anymore. Especially musicians. Yeah, well, I mean, Billie Eilish is younger than us. Ugh, I know. So, you know. I I don't know. I'm not that much older than Taylor Swift, am I? Uh, She was born in December, 89. Real quick, who's achieved more in their life? (laughs) I mean... mean, (laughs) She's not... Engaged to me, so... Well, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Yep, that's that's very, very true. Let's see if anything happened in, in April. So, yeah. Everlong. Yep. Cool, cool song. Nothing happened except for my birthday on April the 8th. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. There you go. How was your week? Yeah, not bad. Just a regular week. Worked a little... Um, you know, you you went away for the weekend, so I did. Yes, I danced with the cat a bit. Excellent. I you know watched for the first time the first Tom Holland Spider Man movie. It was good. Yeah, not as good as Into the Spider Verse though. No, that is a really good movie. Mm. I don't think much of that universe will top that ever. Mm. And I just want to say it's a sad day. Well, sad 24 hours. I know it's, you know, probably not... It's not definitely not in your wheelhouse, but famous Mexican wrestler La Parca mm. died, as did Rush drummer Neil Peart. Yeah. So, the world has lost 
a couple of legends. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's... But yeah. How about your week? Yeah. I was in a minor car accident yesterday, so that kicked off my weekend to an interesting start. So you could say your weekend was smashing. Oh, yeah. No, it was great. Yeah. Smashed it. <laughs> um, but no. Literally, that was the highlight of my weekend. You survived. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's scary. And when you told me I was a little bit like, what the fuck? Yeah. But you survived. Survived. You survived. survived. And your sister survived. Was your mum in the car? No. So the two of you survived. We did. You know, everything else is secondary. Yeah. No, net positive, <laughs> ultimately. Yeah. You're still here with us. Unless we sort of splintered off into an alter universe, and there's another one in which I actually died. Who knows? Like that scene in that Fast and the Furious movie, the one that they had to finish off with when Paul Walker died. Oh, and Vin Diesel and Paul Walker are driving there. They're racing their cars, and then they give each other one final look, and then the paths diverge. Wow. It's actually, like, it's... You kind of say it, like, I say it, and I'm like, it's a Fast and Furious movie, but it's like, actually, no, it's kind of a really sweet tribute to Paul yeah. Walker. Like, it's, and, like, it, it sort of is really touching, like, and the song, they've got some, like, really sort of, like, melodious and, you know, touching rap song going on underneath it. Yeah. And, it's just, and just, like, the last look that they give each other and that, yeah, like, they diverge, knowing that, you know, he's never going to be back because, Aww. you know. Yeah. It's it's actually a good, it's a good scene. Yeah. I was having a similar conversation at work the other day with one of my colleagues. Shout out to Dawn if you're listening. Um, we were sharing memes over email as we do at work. Me and my colleagues in editorial. And there was some meme where I was like, oh man, if I had the time, I would absolutely like mash this thing up with this thing and send it to you. And Dawn responded. She was like, well, in the sliding doors version of your life, you already have. I was just like, that's the most reassuring thing that anyone has ever said to me. You know what has me really... So like, in sliding doors, Mm. there is a version where Gwyneth Paltrow doesn't start up Goop. Oh. What a dream. She does not start up Goop and mislead so many people. Yeah. But, yeah, it's kind of reassuring to look at things like that. Like, if things go great, you can sort of be like, I don't know. It Yeah, it just sort of, it lent a bit of, it made me feel, like, surprisingly calm about life. Yeah. So, no, thank you for that insight, Dawn. That was very lovely. Yeah, no, that's nice. Shall we get into it? Yeah. So... Ever long.
So, as mentioned, so by the band Foo Fighters, uh, it came off the album The Colour and the Shape, which was released in 1997. So, we'll kick off with a bit about the Foo Fighters. They formed in Seattle, Washington in 94, which, again, to consider that was just three years after Nirvana released. Never mind, that's pretty wild. Mm. Just, I, I don't know. I always just assumed there was a much bigger gap between the two. I don't know why. No, so, it's a matter of well, when did when so they started in ninety four, didn't they? The Foo Fighters. Yeah. So the drummer for Nirvana, Dave Grohl, you, you might have heard about him. The, you did say they were formed in ninety four. I just pulled up the notes. No, no, that's yeah. all right. Um, look, bit of a minor figure, but yeah, you might know of Dave Grohl. He's just some guy, you know. D- Dave, d- d- I. That's a really hard last name to pronounce. Growl. Yes. Growl. Growl. That's enough on that joke now. <laughs> I made it once. Where? Um, so yeah, Nirvana drummer Dave Grohl, he formed the band as a one-man project after Nirvana went their separate ways following Nirvana frontman Kurt Cobain's suicide in April 1994. Uh, the name Foo Fighters, just a little... Fun fact, refers to slang that was used during World War II by Allied aircraft pilots to refer to UFOs and other aerial phenomena. So. So, no, I don't have a Tom DeLong joke. No. I remember, it would have probably been around about 97, um, my brother went to see the Foo Fighters, I think at Festival Hall, with my sister's first boyfriend, she's not with him anymore. Mm. Thank Christ, because he was not a terribly good person. But yeah. he went and saw the Foo Fighters with my sister's first boyfriend. For some reason, I don't even remember them being terribly close, but they went together. I think they sat as well and saw the Foo Fighters. Yeah. Which mm. always just seems kind of funny to me, like sitting down to watch a band play. Um, unless it's, you know, like Jack Johnson or something. <laughs> and... Yeah, I think about four or five times that night, my sister said, "Do you know that means like? Do you know that means people who fight aliens, or you know, people who search UFOs?" So when you brought that up, I was like, "Oh yeah, I remember that." <laughs> it also tickled me to during my research to read that they once also performed a secret show as the Holy Shits. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I love that kind of shit. Why think, not? Do you think that's what the Pope names his toilet? I hope not, because that's really upsetting. <laughs> so, look, generally speaking, I don't really find lineup changes that interesting unless there's notable figures involved or there's drama. So this one there's has... Both. Yeah, so we're, we're lucky. Strap yourselves in. <laughs> so the original lineup included drummer William Goldsmith and bassist Nate Mendel, who which I had no idea until doing the research, are both former members of Sunny Day Real Estate. So, And who are Sunny Day Real Estate? They, I've heard them referred to before as like the grandfathers of emo. Like they were one of like the early waves of emo and sort of set the scene for the likes of like Get Up Kids and everyone else that came after. Um, okay. That I must nev- have been just prior because aren't the Get Up Kids, haven't they been around forever? Yeah, they have been around for a while. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've never actually like properly listen to Sunny Day Real Estate. I'm sure I tried to as a teenager because I was like, I need to pay respects to the people who came first. Um, but yeah, that's like a huge name in terms of the emo 
side of things. Uh, so yeah, in addition to William and Nate, the original lineup included Dave's former Nirvana bandmate Pat Smear on guitar. Every time I say Pat Smear, I just think Pat Smear. It's really upsetting. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. No, I figured I was suffering from that. You need to as well. <laughs> um, so yeah, a few lineup changes ensued over the years, but currently, and we'll get back to that a bit later, uh, currently the band is a six-piece, so it consists of Dave, Nate and Pat, along with drummer Taylor Hawkins, uh, Chris Shiflett on lead guitar, who formerly was in No Use for a Name and Me First and the Gimme Gimmies. That's crazy. And Rami Jaffe, who was a former member of the Wallflowers and has worked with the likes of Coheed and Cambria, and also inexplicably like led the house band on the Fran Drescher show. What? Yeah, like I don't get it. That's nuts. Like that's su- like polar opposites. Like some bizarro like in like talk show hosted by Fran Drescher, and then on the other hand, Coheed. Oh, so and it Cambria. wasn't the nanny. No, no, no. Oh, okay. But still, like I thought, I thought you were talking about like the nanny, and yeah, but that's still wild. It's yeah, like it's just I find it like just the origin of all these members is so interesting. Like Sunny Day Real Estate, No Use for a Name, Me First, and the Gimme Gimmies, the Wallflowers, like Wallflowers being Bob Dylan's son, Jacob Dylan, I think it is his band. Yeah, like it's just. It reminds me. I watched a documentary about. Like, session musicians and backup musicians. Yeah. People who are basically... I think they're called hired guns. Yeah, yeah. And so they follow along a few of these people. One of them was... He's now the guitarist for the really terrible metal band Five Finger Death Punch. <laughs> but Sick. before that, he, t- he was the touring guitarist for... I think he started off with Hilary Duff. Yes! And Pink... Fuck yes. He was the touring guitarist for people that were just so unassuming. Like, you just wouldn't imagine this Ugh. guy. And he sort of took the look... Like he he looks like he, you know, he only drinks Monster Energy drink and <laughs> only wears tap-out and affliction and wears too many scarves around his wrists. And, you know, as all the members of Five Finger Death Punch look like that. And this guy still had that look... While playing for Hilary Duff and Pink. That's wonderful. It would be super cool to be a session musician. Like, to have the talent to adjust to just different, like, repertoires from different artists. And, Mm. yeah, like, I do love how they can sort of translate from one band to another and just jump from band to band. Like, even just in the music scene in general, like, one of my favourite, like, glow-ups over, like, my history of, like, listening to music and obsessing over bands and stuff. The bass player for um, now-defunct Fueled by Ramen band, The Academy is, uh, mm. Adam T. Siska, also known as Siski. He's now the bassist for Carly Rae Jepsen. Like, it's oh, just, yeah. it's so delightful seeing all these people just out in the world. Like, you don't have to be part of your own outfit. Like, you can just... But even, even just think, like, the lead singer of Yellow Card. I was going to yeah. call it Ocean Avenue. Ryan <laughs> Key, is it? No. Something like that. Yeah. That. He is now just the touring guitar. I shouldn't say just, but he's the touring guitarist for Newfound Glory. Yeah, I love which it. Which is wild. I just love how that happens. Like, yeah. it's just... Yeah. I, like, 
I'm sure there are plenty of people out here there who may or may not le- be listening who are like, yeah, so what? Like, music is music. Like, if you know what you like. But I just, I love that they can sort of be chameleons almost. Like, just yeah. sort of jump from genre to genre, depending on who's paying the bills at the moment. Yeah. Like, it's so cool. I, um... I only listened to Ocean Avenue for the first time in my life last year, but oh. I, think I've, I think that one year I've done it at karaoke about three times. Oh, it's so, <laughs> so good. And I'm delighted that we don't get to talk about Ocean Avenue, but we do get to talk about Yellow Card at least twice. Mm. So, yeah, I, yeah, I'm going to shelve that conversation, but I just, I... Yeah, no, no, I'm, I was only just... But like, still, it was, like, it was yeah. a passing comment. I'm very excited to unpack how you somehow managed to dodge yellow card <laughs> until you were 30 years old. But, um, so yeah, anyway, that's the lineup for the Foo Fighters. Um, to date, according to Wikipedia at least, four of the band's albums have won Grammy Awards for Best Rock Album. And as of 2015, the band had sold 12 million albums in the US alone. Not bad. No, not too shabby at all. Um, yeah. So, do you want me to just keep talking about the song? Do you want to take over? Here you go. Maybe I'll come in with the video. All right. Sounds good. Just a little bit of, what's the word? Negotiation. A bit of compromise here. Yeah. The foundation of any solid relationship. It's, yeah, it's, it's mostly negotiation. Yeah. Yeah. Just every day. It's just a constant negotiation. I'm trying to think of like a funny negotiation. I know. I but it's like... <laughs> There's, there's really nothing because we don't really negotiate no. in our relationship. I'm my person, you're your person. Yeah. It's like, it's mostly, can you stop doing that voice? It's not as funny as you think. <laughs> and it's like, well... I sound so miserable. Maybe I'll stop doing that voice if you... Go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> They're compromise. Yeah, look, that would be a fair compromise. But... <laughs> uh, anyway... So, Everlong was produced, and um, the overall album, The Colour and the Shape, was produced by Gil Norton, who has worked on the likes of The Pixies' Doolittle in 1989, Dashboard Confessionals, A Mark, A Mission, A Brand, A Scar in 2003, Jimmy World's Futures in 2004, such a good album. I was going to ask. And No, I was going to ask because you're the Jimmy Eat World fan. Yeah. And Closer to Home, Gyroscope's Cohesion in 2010. That's only four of them. There were other really good ones. But just to give you a taste of how Gil's work sort of dovetails with this whole scene that we're mm. in. And then also, yeah, like the Pixies, the Foo Fighters. Like, he's done some really fucking cool albums. Yeah. And yeah, like, it makes a lot of sense to read that Futures was produced by him because... Yeah, it's just a very classic sort of sound. Like, it's aged really well. And I fucking love that album. I saw them tour it in full a few years ago while I was nursing a broken wrist, so that was interesting. But, um, God, it was good. Um, The lyrics for Everlong were written following Grohl's divorce and was inspired by an ongoing romance with Louise Post of Chicago alt-rock band Veruca Salt. Um, And just an interesting side note, uh, Post contributed additional vocals over the telephone for this one. Yeah. So, pretty neat. And I like that she's involved. Like, I like that it's, it's a love song, but she was obviously well aware of it. Like, it's not one of these things where it's like someone... I know this is, like, far-fetched, but, like, 
she was actively involved in this thing coming to life. Like, it wasn't this weird sort of passive thing where it's like, I wrote this song about you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I like that she had part in it because... But it's also not... I can't think of an actual couple that have done a song together. I'm sure it's happened. It has to have happened. It's, oh, like Beyonce and Jay-Z. Yeah. Yeah. Which, and that's not cheesy as well, but it's, nah. it, it doesn't have a, like, it's not corny or anything. I don't think about it and go, that's a bit over the top. It's, yeah. 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 Um, And it's around about this point that a few, like, a bit of that drama and the lineup shifts come in. So this random website online, Radio X, I don't know if it's like a radio station in the UK. I'm pretty sure that's a radio station on Grand Theft Auto, so you might have heard it. <laughs> so... Look, I'm going to trust their copy with a pinch of salt, but yeah, um, they remarked on the whole scenario that the album was made following Dave's divorce from his first wife, Jennifer Youngblood. That is such a fucking cool name. Mm. Uh, And it was also a rocky time in the ranks of the Foos. So drummer William Goldsmith left the band after Grohl re-recorded his parts on the album. That's a... If that's true, like, that's pretty shit. That's real shit. That's why you left the band. Yeah. And guitarist Pat Smear took a break as he was friends with the singer's ex-wife, so that's awkward. Mm. Yeah. yeah, don't know. We, we didn't delve too far into it. Don't know the the reasons for that relationship coming to an end. No, you we'll, do wonder if there was. We'll maybe delve into it a little bit more when we go into our thoughts on the song because I true. I have I have you know things that I want to talk about with that. But yeah, in regards to the lyrics. Um, in two there in two thousand and six, Grohl told Kerrang uh, that the song's about a girl that he'd fallen in love with. Quote, and it was basically about being connected to someone so much that not only do you love them physically and spiritually, but when you sing along with them, you harmonise perfectly. End quote. It was also apparently um, apparently Louise Post. Uh, was on stage, I think it was over here, I think it was in Melbourne, when she found out that apparently he left her for Winona Ryder. What? Which I didn't realise was a thing. I might need to look into that now. Um, But yeah, so she was drunk on stage and was like, yeah, I've just been... My boyfriend just left me for a movie star or something. Oh my god. And then years later she was like... She was like, apparently they patched it up, but she was like... God, I, I would not be angry if her, if, at her if she hadn't. Jesus. Yeah. But apparently, like, that's what I read yeah. on Wikipedia. God, on her, I think it was on her Wikipedia page. God, that's a yikes. Um, so that's the whole, like, yeah, we'll get into the lyrics. We'll get into that later. Yeah. yeah. Um, one more thing that I wanted to discuss that I found really interesting when researching this song was the bridge, like the, I think it's the bridge, like the spoken part Mm. in the middle. Um, It sparked a lot of discussion and theories about what was actually being said, because it's all just a bit of a mishmash. So according to Wikipedia, for the breakdown, Grohl recited three spoken word takes, one retelling a childhood story from assistant engineer Ryan Bosch of being punished for disturbing his father's sleep, and two reading random passages from a book in the studio. Um, Wikipedia notes that only the childhood story was used, but I don't think that's correct because I've seen elsewhere that you can still hear like the manual and something else. Mm. But yeah, I don't know why it struck me so like why I found it so interesting, but 
um, the same dubious Radio X website. Um, they've sort of put what they think the word, the whispering said in terms of that anecdote from the studio guy. Yeah. So, yeah, as best as they could figure out the spoken word bit that they could decipher reads. So dad would take the Sundays off and that's the only time he could ever get any rest. And so because we were loud on Sundays, he'd make us hold his construction boots over our head till he'd sleep. And they were really heavy boots. And I used to say, dad, come on, please. And like, start crying because they're too heavy. I don't know. That just... Like, it's kind of a nonsense thing in amongst everything else, but it still has this real sadness to it. Like, yeah. And this idea of carrying a burden or, like, just, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like, it doesn't necessarily fit theme-wise into the context of the song, but I think it sort of lends an extra layer of just melancholy to it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just real quick, I looked up there wikipedia page and i couldn't find any just going by wikipedia i couldn't find any proof that dave Grohl and winona Ryder were together huh so that's all right yeah we'll i mean just, that's fine we'll just chuck in an allegedly yeah and allegedly <laughs> but anyway that's my book report about the song you get an a plus thank you plus that doesn't exist you sure i don't know I think that was just when teachers were being a bit too like, well done. Like, I mean, I never got one, but... I think I might have, but I think it was just a teacher who was like, oh, whatever. A++. Well, so an A++ was, what, like 98 to 100% or something? Um, I think it was like 90 and above, wasn't it? Because an A is 80. I feel uh, like we've had this we've... exact discussion. <laughs> On the podcast, so let's just stop. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I've never received an A++, or I never saw one, but that's because I um, wasn't a terribly good student. So, the video <laughs> yes. was directed by Michel Gondry. Yeah. Frenchman Michel Gondry, who directed Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Be Kind, Rewind, and he also directed the music videos for Gary Jules, Mad World, mm-hmm. uh, The Hardest Button to Button, the White Stripes, yep. No One Knows, Queens of the Stone Age. Um, he also directed some pretty phenomenal Björk film clips. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he also directed, which is kind of autobiographical about our relationship, the Flight of the Concords episode, Unnatural Love. What? It's the one where, uh, is it Jermaine or Brett? One of them dates an Australian girl. <laughs> yep. I thought you were trying to make a gag about, like, oh, love is unnatural. It's going to be like, that's really upsetting. Please don't make those kinds of jokes. We, I mean, our relationship is, like, half of New Zealand's population. I feel like half of New Zealand's population is dating or is married to or is engaged to an Australian. Yeah, probably. Probably. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> no. So. Means that we can escape if we need to, baby. Yep. To the shelter that is... My home, I don't know. Anyway, irrelevant. Yeah. Uh, the runtime exceeds the original song. Yeah, they add an extra chorus at yeah. the end. Like, we... Yeah. Yeah. 
when we uh, we'll discuss that when we discuss our thoughts on the film. But I guess. Mm. Um, so yeah, although Taylor Hawkins appears in the video, he was actually not in the band when they recorded the song. So Dave Grohl, as we have already stated, um, he was the second drummer basically at that point. <laughs> And Taylor Hawkins was the third. I just like that's a no. That's a dick move. Like, are you are you doing it to kick him out, or were you were you intending to kick him out? If you're not intending to kick him out, it's just like, well, I can do it better. And then, okay, it, yeah, yeah. Dave Grohl, fine, fine. It's one of those cases where like you need, and like this is something that I struggle with sometimes in my professional career as an editor is like. Just being able to delegate something and just trust that it's being yeah. done. Like, you can't always take 100% control over everything. And that's part of being in a band is delegating mostly. Yeah, like, hey, I know what the drum... Like, oh, fuck, anyway. I mean, there are some some acts. Um, a lot in black metal do it. It's just one person. Yeah. Um, that just seems really lazy. Like, do the rest of the band get royalties for that then? No, it's not lazy. It's one person doing... Three or four instruments. No, I mean... Oh, like a lot of them, a lot of it is... It's like one or is it them... like one person with hired guns to play the album yeah, and wh- tour it? One of them, I can't remember the name. It's a guy from Tasmania mm-hmm. who does does all the music. He doesn't tour. He doesn't right, play, he doesn't play okay. his music. He, he just records it and puts it out there. No, I was... Yeah, I was under the impression that like it was a band of people, but they're all just like, oh no, you do it. <laughs> <laughs> That would be so funny. I'm imagining like... Homer in the one man band. <laughs> yeah. I'm already Bell. No, where the trails? I can't remember. Oh man, <laughs> it's irrelevant. But I just want to point out that Boss was having a dream before because his little paw was twitching. No, I hope he caught whatever bug he was catching in his dream. Yeah, in his dream, he's an actual good hunter. In real life, he's not. He is not. Uh, in one part of the dream sequence of the video. Grohl is dressed as Sex Pistols bassist Sid Vicious, mm-hmm. and Taylor Hawkins is dressed as his partner Nancy Spungen. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's a interesting video. Oh yeah, you can also sort of see, I guess, the the beginnings of you know stuff that Gondry would use in movies like Eternal Sunshine. Mm, yeah, I really need. I, I wonder what. I, could almost do that in one night. I, I want to watch that again. I want to watch Be Kind Rewind again. Yeah. 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 Uh, and so both Smear and Mendel are dressed as Teddy Boys in the film clip. The Teddy Boys or Teds were a mainly British subculture of young men wearing clothes partly inspired by the styles worn by dandies in the Edwardian period, which Seville Row tailors had attempted to reintroduce in Britain after the Second World War. The Edwardian period was around about the early 90s. Edwardian, isn't it? Edwardian, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Where it was around, it was like the beginnings of the 19th century. No, yeah. No, the beginnings of the 20th century. Yeah. Yeah. Like 1900s. Like just at the beginning. Yeah. Like 1901. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, the video... I, whenever I think Michelle Gondry, I just think like dream sequences like yeah yeah it's a pretty cool like because he also did the science of sleep which i'm not sure if i've watched it or not it's one of those ones i feel like it's been on tv to a point where i've probably seen bits and been like oh yeah i've seen it i don't know 
I just, yeah, I find his work, like, delving into that sort of dream space. Like, it's really interesting, because I just don't have an imagination for that kind of stuff. I feel like his reality is not our reality. Yeah. Like, reality is... is Tenuous at best. Tenuous. It's just, it's a concept, almost, that he's gonna fuck with. Yeah. Yeah. Like, just... Yeah, just all the little details in the music video, like how there's parts over the lens where it looks like there's water running over it, or like Dave, when he, whenever he gets into a punch-on, like a fight, like his fist grows like a hundred sizes, quite yeah. like, yeah, it's just, I don't know, I don't really have words for it, like it's just, I love the video, but I couldn't pinpoint why, it's just... But, do you love the song? Yes, I fucking love the song. It's yeah. so, so good. Yeah. I reckon it's one of my favourite... Possibly my favourite ever drum fill. And it's just really simple. It's just like him bashing at the... Yeah. The, the, you know, the, the part of... The, like, in the... Um, the first part of the, the chorus. Everything could ever feel this good forever. It's like... Yeah. And then, yeah. Yeah. It's so, so good. I, I didn't do that justice on my thigh, but... It sounded great. I and of course it sounds good because it's Dave Grohl doing the <laughs> drums. That's, fucking... that's probably not going to not be a joke for this entire episode. Is fucking Dave Grohl coming in <laughs> after the drums were recording, going, "Well, <laughs> that's just like... I cannot get over how shitty that is." Could, could you? I could just sort of imagine him just like sitting there in the in the recording booth, just watching, going. Already planning how he's going to do it differently. Do you think he was like, yo, I'm going to re-record this? Or he just sort of no. quietly... Yeah. No. No. <laughs> no. I just picture him being like, yeah, that's really great. Like, well done. And then everyone else goes home. He's just like, fuck. Like, what, are, what are you doing on the drums there, Dave? Oh, just really... Just noodling around, you know. Glory, like, yeah. You know, no, it's fine. Remembering what it was like to be at the back of the band, not just at the keep, front. Just keeping my skills fresh. Yeah. Don't worry about me. There'll be, you know, there'll be this dude in about... He will get kind of famous in the next couple of years, but he'll have a movie called Tenacious D, The Pick of Destiny. I will play the devil in that movie <laughs> about 13 years from now, and I need to keep my drumming technique tight because I'm going to have a triple bass drum going. It's, I think, like, just in a broader sense, like Richard's hot take from last week about how, like, they're good, but they're just, like, yeah, they sort of appeal to, like, the everyman kind of yeah. thing. Like, which is a good thing, but, like, it's funny because before sort of delving into this, I just sort of pictured Dave as just being like a yeah, no worries sort of like... And I think that's kind of... I would sort of argue he's kind of the Keanu Reeves of music. Yeah. People love Dave Grohl. Yeah. And he's probably earned that. Oh, for over sure. Over the last decade and a half, maybe. Yeah. But perhaps in the early 90s, maybe Dave Grohl was a little bit of a, you know, maybe a little bit of a curmudgeon. It's, yeah, like, I'm sort of, I'm picturing it, and, like, not that any of this matters, and, like, Dave Grohl, if you ever happen to hear this, like, come on the pod, we love you, but, like, it could, I feel like it's either he was a bit type A and was just like, nah, fuck, and, like, sort of the kind of person who would just try and reinvent the wheel, like, didn't like the drums, fuck it, I'll redo them, didn't like my marriage, fuck it, like, and, like, either, like, he was very calculated or he just sort of blundered through things a lot and like didn't really think about because I could also see him being like oh I truly didn't think 
this was going to be as offensive as it was. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I want to know how different those original drums were as well. Yeah. I want to... Because you can tell the difference between Scott Rayner and Travis Barker. Yeah. Drastically, yeah. you can tell the difference between those two. But I would love to know what the difference was between, you know, the original and Dave Grohl. Because I'm... I don't know. Again, because I don't have any imagination, but I'm just picturing, like, the exact same drums. Yeah. But Dave was like, nah, fuck. The, yeah, like, literally, they left for the day and he stayed behind. And just retracted, even yeah. though there was no need to. That's what I'm picturing, but it mustn't be the case, because why the fuck else would you... So weird. I've wrote on my notes, possibly my favourite drum fills of all time. You feel me? You feel me? Uh, but well, no, this is, this is definitely a very... It's one of those songs I'm very happy to have had in my stuck in my head all all week. Yeah, I was going to say all year, but it kind of well, almost has been. Yeah, all year, I so. guess. Mm. Um, yeah, it's one like because yeah, when I was listening to this fairly frequently, just on a loop, just to sort of get used to it, and like a couple of months before we were even doing this song, like I remember just listening to it and being like, "Damn!" Like, always forget how good the song is. I feel like that's how a lot of the Foo Fighters back catalogue reads for me now. But, like, they're one of those bands where I sort of forget how much of their stuff I know until I'm listening to it. Yeah. Like, I was listening to their best, I was like, oh, fuck, like, I forgot this was them. And, like... It was the same thing as we discussed with Queen. Like, they had a three-CD greatest hits and it's, like, all All of it is bangers. Yeah. Yeah. Or, like, um... Unless it's, you know, the bicycle song. Even Radio Gaga, I'm not that good. That that, that is a with... good song. It's alright. It's alright. But anyway, we're not talking uh, about yes. Um But yeah, and then like, I had completely forgotten, but there was a patch where like when In Your Honor came out, I loved that CD. Like how there was the quiet and the loud CDs. Like it was so good. And I just completely forgot that I ever really sort of delved into mm. them beyond just the hits. Like, yeah, they're so good. And this is just such a cool song. Like, there's... I don't know what it is. There's just something about it. It just captures this very specific feeling. But I don't know what it is. Yeah. And, and I mean, now we'll just discuss, you know, the lyrics and what I was getting at before. You know, this is either a really lovely song mm. or kind of depressing. depending yeah. on Depending on how you look at it and depending on what the reality of his first marriage was yeah it's you know if it's the case of him saying yes this is about you know being in love with someone and when you're in a relationship that's so good everything syncs up and you just sort of sing together yeah everything gels then yes it is lovely and Mm. you know we discussed having the acoustic version of the song play at our wedding yeah but now i've also like looked into it and we don't know. We don't know the facts, and we're not accusing anyone, but... <laughs> but... <laughs> alleg- we're not saying... We're not even saying allegedly. We're just throwing it out there that his marriage was ending, and he was in another relationship. Yeah. How soon after, or did those relationships... Yeah. Into, like, interweave, you know, did they cross over at some point? Yeah. And at that point, it does become really sad, you know? It's... About this person that he potentially has had an affair with, you know? Yeah. And when when he's with them, it's perfect. 
but you know it's not going to last. You yeah. know, you know that at some point you need to leave this bedroom, this house, this moment. You yeah. have to leave this person and come back to reality where things aren't good. Yeah, and I sort of I get the impression that on both, like for both parties, they were in sort of a rocky state. Yeah, like yeah, I think. Dave, like, he, yeah, he was not having a great time, like, going through a divorce. I think he was homeless around about the point. Yeah. Like just, But then there's references to, like, his love interest being out of her head and, like, also waste of, away with me, like, these sorts of... And out of the red. And I sort of read that as, like, almost emotional debt. You know how you're in oh, the red when yeah. you're in debt? Yeah, I throw so, myself into an out of the red. Yeah. So like you're going in it, and you know, he's homeless at that point. At point, so there's, there's you know, going through a divorce. There's so much weighing on him. Yeah. You know, he is, you know, out of the red, out of her head. Yeah, it's. I don't know. I want it to be lovely. I want it to be this 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 perfect little love song. But at the same time, when you sort of think about what was going on at the time, it might very well not be. But I think that's what I like about it. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's, I like when art and like literature and music can speak to that idea that love isn't just this spark that then burns forever and it's all perfect all mm. the time because life gets in the way. Yeah. So like, I like the idea that even though it was such a tumultuous point in their lives at the, yeah, at the center of it, he had made this connection with someone else, albeit it might've been a fleeting one, yeah. but being able to sort of acknowledge and celebrate that, even if it isn't a sort of melancholy way of like, if anything could ever be this good again, like being like, will I be able to capture this feeling again? But mm. yeah, I don't, there's just something kind of beautiful about it. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I, yeah, I do have a soft spot for those songs that aren't just, oh, we met and we fell in love and it's been wonderful ever since. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like another favourite of mine is First Day of My Life by Bright Eyes. And it's, like, it's a very popular wedding song as well. And it's based, like, you get the impression that the pair might have had a bit of a rocky start or something like that. But yeah, one of the... I think the last verse of it, like, and it just sticks with me every time. Um, Connor Oberst says, with these things, there's no telling. We'll just have to wait and see. But I'd rather be working for a paycheck than waiting to win the lottery. Like, I really yeah. love that idea of, like, yeah. You can, you can tell yourself that you're going to meet your soulmate and put off everything. Yeah. Or you can take a chance and that could be your lottery. Exactly. Yeah. Like, but yeah, I yeah, I don't know. I just, yeah, this song sort of gives me a similar feeling to that song, First Day of My Life. Like that idea of like, in this moment right here, we are perfect. It might not be forever, but this is enough for now. Like. Would you still consider having Everlong at our fu uh, funeral? <laughs> Join funeral, baby. Um, <laughs> I think I would. 
But I don't know if you think it's going to jeopardise No. <laughs> like, I'd it's like, like to I'm... play First Day of My Life at some point, because it's just a lovely song. Like, yeah. And I want to play Hammer Smashed Face by Cannibal Corpse. <sighs> uh. Hmm. Shall we talk about the cover? You know how we should dress at our wedding? Like <laughs> Sid and Nancy. No. They are very unhealthy. They were, well, they were, they were deadly to one another. Yeah. They were incredibly unhealthy. Yeah. No, I'm done romanticising troubled relationships. Do people really romanticise Sid and Nancy? Yeah. Oh, no. Well, yeah, Sid and Nancy, Romeo and Juliet, like, just all those, like, oh, he's so wrong for me, but it's so right. I saw this thing, I think it was a bookshop or a cafe or somewhere, had... You know how some places do, like, the chalkboard signs? Yeah. And they... I can't remember. I've seen it crop up a few times. It was like... It was like, stop romanticizing Romeo and Juliet. They were a 16-year-old and a 14-year-old who got three people killed and killed themselves after three days of being married together. Yeah. They were idiots. Yeah. Basically, stop romanticizing them. And I think, yeah, like, we've had this discussion quite a few times on here. Just a lot of the music that I grew up listening to, like... It very much romanticised that idea of like, oh, but we're just both so fucked up, but like... Bonnie and Clyde as well. Like, yeah. The Beyonce and Jay-Z had the Bonnie and Clyde song. It was like, no, they were a fucked up pair that killed yeah. people and, and you know... It, yeah. Like, you can see how those things are seductive from like a marketing perspective, but it's not healthy. No. But <sighs> I kind of see the... And I'm taking a bit of a leap with this one. I guess, but like Sid and Nancy, I guess like the 90s version of Sid and Nancy. Kurt and Courtney. Was Kurt and Courtney. Yep. And I, I, I just think that that's kind of a really fitting thing that he's dressed up like. Yeah. Where, you know, every night he was watching, watching the 90s Sid. Yeah. Do his thing on stage. Yeah. Basically. I don't know. I, I don't, I don't really see too much. Uh, and again, if this is supposed to be a lovely love song, then don't base your don't base your lovers off of you know a relationship where the guy killed the girl and then the guy got overdosed by his mother to death. So, Wait, what? Is that what happened? That's what happened to Sid and Nancy. I knew that Sid killed Nancy, but and I then didn't... his mum gave him a hot shot of that's just like basically a a injection of like I think heroin and just other shit that's basically intended to kill you. Ew. His mother injected it to him. Did she him. do it on purpose? Uh, maybe. I don't know. Oof, yikes. Don't do drugs, people. Do anyway. healthy drugs. Yeah. Like Panadol <laughs> and caffeine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and alcohol. Let's just keep... Like, anyway. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just thought that that was... Because, again, like I don't see too much the connection there between... Sid and Nancy, why that's a thing, except for, you know, they were kind of the, the Curtin Courtney of the of the 80s. Yeah. There was that whole, you know, there is that belief that Courtney Love did kill Kurt Cobain, so. Do I ask you what you think, or do you not want to be on a list? <laughs> I don't know. I just, I don't know. I don't know. I've I just sort of taken a space value until something comes out that states otherwise. Yeah, exactly. Like, so I'm going to go with what they say at the moment. So Same as Elliot Smith. Like, there's always mm. been talk that his girlfriend killed him. 
But I don't know, like, you listen to his music and he was fucking miserable. Which, like, I know that doesn't mean, like, so he was going to kill it, but, like... And it's the same thing with Kirk Bang. Yeah. And they're only just starting to, I guess, understand that, hey, just because you're rich and famous doesn't mean you're happy. Yeah. You know, with, with you know, recently, you know, Chester Bennington. Oh, God. And Chris Cornell. It's like, man, did Chris Cornell kill himself? Yes. Yes. Um, but it is just kind of a thing, like, you can be miserable and just want to take your life, even if you're on top of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah. But anyway, I do love the evil dead imagery in this yeah. film clip. Yeah. That would be one of my top five favorite horror films would be the evil dead. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe more the evil dead too, because it has the imagery of him having a chainsaw hand. That just seems really impractical. Well, he, he, his hand gets cut off, so. But like, I don't know. Well, you're fighting demons. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, you guess. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the cover. The Colour Morale. Mm. Um, oh, fuck. I was, I was trying to find notes about the band on my notes when I realised, no, that's my thoughts. <laughs> the, the way the, Sam works is we have our run sheet, but he also has a separate notepad upon which he writes his individual thoughts about the song. Yep. I was desperately trying to find it there. I was like, I was wait. just like, are you all right? Like, where's it was just the, this pregnant pause. Where's the information? So, from 2007 to 2018. 2000. I was hoping you wouldn't notice that. Um, <laughs> they operated. They're currently on an indefinite hiatus. Um, uh, yep. Yep. The Colour Morale, not the Foo Fighters. No, no. For a second, I didn't think the word indefinite was the correct one, but no, that's correct. Uh, they hail from Rockford, Illinois. Sick. Influenced by other medical med- medical punk bands. <laughs> My favourite genre. Um, metalcore. Metalcore punk bands as Glassjaw, Beloved, Misery Signals, and Poison the Well. Mm-hmm. Their lyrical themes included religion, mental disorders, overcoming past struggles, and positivity. You know what? 
I'm going to come out and say I think this this style of music could do with more positivity. Yeah, but I mean, there's a type of catharsis in listening to this kind of music and sort of just fueling that. That's that's true. Like listening to someone scream "fuck you" instead of "I love my mom." Breakdown. What you're basically just referring to, and my dad too. You're basically referring to Brendan Urie's positive Positive hardcore hardcore first days. Which, Which are very funny. I do love them a lot. They make me very Which, happy. if you're not sure, it's Brandon Yuri from Panic! at the Disco was on Vine and he would do positive hardcore Thursdays. Yeah. And it was basically what it sounds like. He would sort of growl, but saying positive things. Yeah. It's very wholesome. So, yeah, I feel like it would just sort of mostly come out as being comical. I don't know. Yeah, anyway, probably. Yeah. Probably. Um, I kind of... Went on this a bit too long, but I'm going to put it... I'm going to say it all here anyway. They tried to distance themselves from the label of being a Christian metalcore band. Instead, trying to be more of a Christians in a metalcore band band. Yeah. Um, even though their second album, My Devil in Your Eyes, charted on the US Christian charts. I mean... I don't know. Like... That, I guess that wasn't necessarily their decision for them to be on the... I don't know. What do you think about it? I... I mean, I think there is that whole subsect of... Or there was that subsect of Christian hardcore, Christian... Yeah. Christian metalcore. And it was kind of a thing that you... Basically, what they would... It was more like when they were still... They were very young, these bands starting out... And they were sort of still in like the youth group scene. Yeah, they would they would be like, "Hey, we're good Christians," and you know they would write this music about Christianity. But then they would get a little bit older and a bit more self aware, I guess, and yeah. say, "And say, hey, I'm still a believer, but maybe it doesn't all need to be about Jesus. Maybe we can yeah. talk about other things. Maybe we don't want that label of being a Christian band." Yeah, you know, hey. We're fine with being Christians in a metalcore band. Yeah. I think for me, the most obvious one was Paramore. Like, there was a patch where they were very sort of... I don't... Like, they weren't defined as, like, Christian pop punk or anything, I don't think. But there were, like, some references to Christianity in their songs and... Boss! Anyway. Um... Yeah, like, there were definitely references. But then, yeah, I think it did sort of get to a point where they did sort of stipulate, like, we are a band that happens to be made up of members who are Christian. Like, yeah. And, like, I get it. Like, I get that there is a distinction between the two. Um, but, yeah, Sam is abandoning me to vamp because our son is pulling items off our clothes. Spaz! <laughs> he is a menace. Um... I, the one that I always go to, the one that I always go to is in this sort of, in a heavier sense, mm. was As I Lay Dying. Yeah. Yep. Who, and I, I can't remember if their early stuff was about Christianity, but they were always known as the Christian metalcore band. Then the lead singer, Tim, ba- Tim Lambesis, left Christianity. Yeah. And I don't want I don't want anyone to use this as an excuse or anything, but like left Christianity was 
was bodybuilding, doing steroids. I think he was doing alcohol and then tried to get his wife killed. Doing alcohol? Doing alcohol. Okay. Well, I, I, I don't know if, the, if that was the case, but he definitely tried to get his wife killed. Yeah, that's... And he served about two years in jail. He got out. I think he's... Like, he's the only member right. of As I Lay Dying Now. They all left and started another band yeah, with another about... singer. Fair enough. Jesus. So I think he is As I Lay Dying and... I think you got like a book deal and he's getting money from it what basically. The fuck? Yeah, it's fucked. Oh. It's it's fucked. So, but I don't want people to be like, well, he left, uh, he strayed from the path and that's what caused him. No. No. No, he's disturbed, okay? I don't know. I yeah. I think I have a very specific view on like Christian bands because I went to school with people who were in Christian bands and yeah. I don't know. Like, live your life, I don't really care. Yeah, no, but, that's fine. Yeah. So, this song, I I don't think I enjoyed it when I first heard it. Yeah. It has that really sort of, it takes a while for it to kick in. Like, the acoustic is a bit too long at the start. I also felt like he was maybe almost trying to upstage Dave Grohl. He over-enunciates. Yeah. yeah. You know, especially even just like, it's like, Everlong. It yeah, it's I don't know, like it's just sort of like the emo equivalent of like that Mariah Carey, Christina Aguilera, just the like he has a good voice, yeah, but you don't need to be like jumping around all over the scale, like just yeah, yeah, and look, it, as I said, like I don't think I enjoyed it so much when I listened to it the first time, but then when I gave it more of a chance, I. Definitely came to appreciate it a lot more. I definitely came to yeah. enjoy it a lot more. And it, and I feel like them coming in and doing it, you know, 10, 15, 20 years on. When did they do Punk Goes Acoustic? Uh, 2014. Acoustic. I mean, Punk Goes 90s, Volume 2. So, yeah, 20 years. Wait, no, 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 no. Sorry. No. Sorry. <laughs> I, they started in 1994. The song was in 1997. Okay. <laughs> Yes, I realised I goofed, alright? Just calm down. 17 years on, alright? Alright, we can move on. Uh, time is a construct anyway, so who cares? But um, anyway, so they bring... I don't know, I feel like you can definitely tell that they're a metalcore band. Yeah. And... But it's no, there's nothing obnoxious about it. And when, you know, when it, when the chorus really kicks in with everything, like, their instrumentation is, the heaviness to it is very welcome in my book. Yeah. No, it's, because, yeah, I did listen to a couple of their other songs and they do have that more sort of metalcore element, obviously, to the yeah. rest of their stuff. I do like that they sort of dialed it back a bit for this. Like, yeah. It's still their sound, but they did it in a way that fits the original. Like, And it's things like, I'm pretty sure there's sort of a breakdown in it, but it's not, it's not like open the fucking pit kind of breakdown. It's just sort of giving you a bit of a breath to then come back into it mm. heavier. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's heavy without sacrificing melody. Yeah. Is what I, uh, is what I wrote. And without sort of shoehorning in like... Just because they do, 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 <laughs> uh-huh. just because they have, like, 
scream vocals in their other stuff. I like that they were, they didn't just sort of shoehorn in screaming for the sake of it. You know what I say? What? Scooby-Doo can do do. <laughs> but Jimmy Carter is smarter. Sm- Uh, Scooby Doo, Doo Doo. What's your opinion on? So it's in the part where it's like the spoken bit, yeah. And they kind of they dial it back down, and it's sort of almost like this underwatery kind of cavernous, just sort of gentle sort of strumming mm. before the guitar solo kicks in. Yeah, I like what do it. You, you do? You think it's all right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, to be honest, I can't quite picture it in my head at the moment because I've just got the original one. Yeah. Just the... <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I like it though. Like they... Yeah, they sort of... <sighs> What's the word? They were not subtle about it, but they just sort of did it in a... I don't know. I feel like this is sort of... Were this done by a band that were like, and they've definitely got them on Fearless Records, and they definitely have recruited bands that are like in their late teens, early 20s. And this could have been absolutely fucking atrociously over the top and way. Yeah. We've heard those songs already. We've seen those songs. Some of them are done well, some of them are done fun, some of them are just the pits. Yeah. And I feel like this is almost, this is mature. Like it's done by people who are probably a little bit older. Yeah. People who respect the music. People who probably grew up listening to and loving the Foo Fighters. Yeah. No, that's... Yeah. Like, they sort of... They showed restraint. Like, they do it in... Like... Yeah, they didn't just sort of go like, oh, fuck yeah, we can add this thing, and then like... Like, they just... Yeah. It's very well considered, the way that they arranged it and did it. Like... I do find the end of it overwrought, how he then adds, like, an extra, like, hello, like, I've waited, like... Yeah, to end with the, sort of, going back to the acoustic. Yeah. Which, I kind of get the feeling he may have been that person who whipped out the acoustic guitar at parties when nobody wanted him to. (laughs) Like, anyway, here's Wonderwall. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I know Kumbaya and Wonderwall. Oh, man. And, and, come as you are, not come as you are. Good riddance. Yeah. Oh, Time man. Of uh, yeah. It's four chords. I feel, <laughs> I feel like that's one of those rules of like, if you can't think of who the guitar person was in high school, you were probably the guitar person. See, and I always used to get told by older people, like, yeah, if you take a guitar to a party, you're oh, in. Gross. And I never did because I never got invited to parties, but... <laughs> I, I I was I was also too shy to be that person to be like, alright. Even though I played guitar. <laughs> I was never gonna be like, alright. Who wants to hear into right Sandman? <laughs> I must admit, like when you're a teenager or like when you're in high school there is a certain like magnetism to musicians. I think it's just because everyone is so fucking like we're all just dead shits, like in a yeah. So, like, <laughs> being able to, like, tap into this, like, constructive sort of creative element and be half good at it, everyone's just like, whoa, because, like, we haven't formed any, like, anything tangible yet about ourselves. Yeah. 
Like, I remember, like, there being this guy in high school who, like, for all intents and purposes, like, wasn't conventionally attractive. Like, neither was I. So, like, I'm not saying. But, like, and I, like, didn't think anything of him, like, in that way. But I do remember one time we were in the music room and he was setting up his drums and I sort of, I was like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) But then it's just like, but it's purely just because he was playing drums. I think there was just something where I was like, oh, hello. But like, otherwise there just would have been no sort of. Yeah. Yeah. So look, I think there's a certain element of truth to that. And I also dated a bass player for years. So I, I, of all of them, I picked the bass player. (laughs) So, anyway. Yeah, look, I'm not going to say that I lived a rock star lifestyle because I didn't. Oh, God, me neither. But... I, yeah. I was going to say I wish it had, but no. <laughs> <laughs> so, we got a couple more covers to discuss. Yeah. Would you like some more covers? Yes. Yes, please. Let's just power through these because I think we're both running out of steam. Oh, I, 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 I'll power through Winston K. I want to. Uh, I do kind of want to delve into the last one though. Sure. A bit, so. All right. So the first one, Winston K. I came across Winston in my travels on Spotify. Literally just typed in Everlong and then looked through the list of songs that came up. He's an interesting character. Like. He reminds me of the guy whose name I always forget. Mark Gormley. Mark Gormley, who we've brought up before. Um, Just this sort of, like, DIY, sort of self-made, like, middle-aged guy with an acoustic guitar, jamming out, like, recording his music, putting up on Spotify. But, like, I get the impression it's purely, like, a hobby thing. Like, he might play, like... I get the impression he plays, like, maybe a couple of cafe gigs every now and then, but, like... I don't think he's trying to monetize. I think it's just he enjoys playing and he wants other people to hear it. So he's a one-man cover band, basically. Yeah. Like, you enjoy, you enjoy, these are the songs you like to play. Yeah. And you're not in it to, to become famous. You're just doing it because you want to, you know, get up on stage, play some music and, and love it. Yeah. Like, his guitar sounds super interesting. Yeah. And, and I don't mean that, you know how sometimes you, it's like, you're trying to not hurt the person's feelings. It's yeah, like, it's oh, interesting. interesting yeah. It's no, it's interesting in the best possible way. It's yeah. a very, it's you watch the video and it's, a, I believe it's a twelve string, but I don't know if he has all the strings in. Mm. So it could still be six string, but there's something. It almost kind of sounds like a sitar 
but it's yeah. acoustic. But then he sings, and I just feel like he's trying to be about three famous singers at once. Yeah. Like, I almost get, like, maybe a little bit of Bob Dylan in there. Yeah. And it's just, it's like, like, the guitar is really cool. Yeah. And, like, he's he's alright at singing, but even, we mentioned him, Mark Gormley, that's Mark Gormley doing Mark Gormley. Yeah. In his vocals. Yeah. Do we need to play a little Mark Gormley so people understand who we're talking about, like, what we're talking about? I think, I look, let's just... I like Mark. Yeah, let's me give, too. Yeah, let's get Mark on the pod. But until then, <laughs> we'll play a bit of Gormley for you. Yep. So, yeah, that was Mark Gormley. We're still talking about Winston K, though. And, yeah, I just feel like he's... And that's probably a, a product of him not trying to do anything major. Like, he's not trying to sell out you know, no. stadiums. He's just doing his best. <laughs> and, I like, I feel like with these kinds of ones, it would be really easy to just shit on them and be like, oh, that's so funny. Like, what does he... Th-? Like, I genuinely find it so interesting. Because, yeah. like, he does have talent. Oh, like, yeah. I just, I find it really interesting that he's just sort of made this project for himself where, like, yeah, here's some of my originals, here are my covers, like, and he's done a heap of, like, he's covered Miss Misery by Elliot Smith. Like, he's got some really interesting songs in his repertoire. Like, he obviously knows his shit in terms of, like, very well well, like, the equivalent of well-read, well-listened. Like, mm. he's, yeah, a bit of a jack-of-all-trades kind yeah. of thing. Like, I find it really interesting. Yeah. So, you go, Winston, K. Go on with your bad self. K for King. K for King K. Rool, the villain in the Donkey Kong games. Sure. Mm. So, this next and final cover, you want to riff on it a bit more than I do, because I don't have a hell of a lot of experience with this band so what is the street that the simpsons live on evergreen terrace ah It's like 742. I think so, 742. Yeah. 
Hang on, let me check. Anyway, start talking about it. So, yeah, Evergreen <laughs> Terrace, uh, a hardcore... Yeah, 7.42. I think, like, maybe you'd say sort of hardcore kind of light metalcore band. Been around for about 20 years. Yeah. Now, um, I used to... They're one that I kind of forget about for a few years, and then something pops up, and I'm like, oh, yeah, Evergreen Terrace. I'll yeah. listen to a little bit of Evergreen Terrace. I used to listen to them a, a fair bit in high school. Yeah. Um, and they had a... Kind of similar to Newfound Glory, how Newfound Glory has their cover albums. They had their cover album, Writer's Block, mm-hmm. which I think is a great name for yeah. a, an album <laughs> where you should be writing your own music, and they yeah, ha- they haven't. That's clever. Um, so, yeah, they do a cover of Everlong, and it's quite possibly my... Out of the three, it's... Well, four, I guess. But out of the three... You know, rocky versions. This is my favorite of the dun 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 because I don't. It's it's because of the drums. The drums are doing this thing where it's and it's kind of like the heart. It's kind of like a hardcore sort of like slowed down almost beat. And I probably don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. It's like they're hitting the 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 hi hat. No, not the hi hat. They're hitting hitting the cymbals at on each like dun. So it's like, yeah. d- d- instead of like the the Foo Fighters and Color Morale, where it's the... Like the rolling sort of drum. Yeah, on the hi-hat. Yeah. And it just gives it this really sort of like... Choppy. Yeah. Like, yeah, really kind of... And it's like, they're not... I was trying to figure it out for a while. And I'm like, are they shortening the notes? No, I don't think they're shortening the notes. It's, yeah, it's the drums. They're hitting it on each beat, which makes it short, sharp, and snappy. Though you're probably going to say something about the screaming. I was actually going to say I don't like the choppy, short, snappy sort of... Oh, okay. Yeah. I think what I really love about the original is that it does sort of just carry away on that. Like, mm. I wasn't doing anything vaguely resembling it then, but, like, I love when a song just has a really solid, like, backbeat, like, just something that sort of carries you along with it, like, that kind of motion. So yeah, to like at first I was like, oh hell yeah, this is really cool. But then when it came to the dun 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 dun, dun like and it just go boom, like very, it threw me a bit. I was like, oh, like I don't like this. And see, for me, that's something I could at a show like bob my head to. Yeah. Well, there you go. And yeah, do you have anything to say about the screens? Don't love them. No, they're used sparingly. Yeah. So I explained it to you as well because the singer, yes. I, 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 the the clean singer is the guitarist, and then the guy screaming is supposed to be like the main front man, but he's kind of not. Yeah. But he, oh, that's that's his role is he's the screamer. Yeah. So if you don't have him doing at least a couple screams a song, <laughs> he's just standing there. He's not there, <laughs> and I imagine I can only imagine them being like. You know, him having nothing to do, like, I'm just, I'm doing nothing. Can I just go home? No, no, you got to be here for this. <laughs> so he yeah. comes in with the screams to, to, you know, fill his quota. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. And I feel like his, his vocals, not the screamer, the clean singer, his vocals match, or like, are closer to matching Dave Grohl's in the sort of, like, heavy kind of gruff kind of rocky kind of punk kind of it space. Kind of. Of kind. You said kind of a lot. I did. Um, I realised that, but I did. 
I yeah, I found it really interesting. Like the first verse, he sounds so much like Dave. Like not even just a vocal affectation. I was like, wow. Like, but that's is... kind of that's sort of like he's not putting on a voice. No, that's no, how no. He sounds. But yeah, yeah, it was just kind of uncanny. Like that was yeah, just an. Int- I was like, oh wow, like super close. And it's sort of interesting in those kinds of bands. You have the the screamer and the guy who's clearly spent ten years in music lessons, in vocal yeah. lessons, like with the sort of. Either like the really kind of like emo-y kind of or like pop punky kind of voice or like someone with a really nice voice. And he does just sort of, you know, he has the guitar and the, the kind of the rock voice. Yeah. Basically, it's, you know, it is a really interesting dynamic. And that's kind of what I do like about, you know, Evergreen Terrace. Yeah. Yeah. So I might listen to a little bit more of them and then forget about them and start listening to them again in about 2022. <laughs> Sick. <laughs> but... I digress. So, what about those light gang vocals, though? Yeah, because... It's a real light gang vocal. It's like him and one other person. Because, am I remembering it correctly where it's almost like a bit of a... Not a breakdown, but like that last chorus is a bit of... Almost like hand clappy, kind of... It's not hand Well, it's... it's it's. There's no instrumentation in the first if everything could ever like, feel this good forever. Yeah. And then it comes in. Yeah. I'm trying to remember as well, there's also on one of the dirt 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 parts, there's also some heavy double bass, which I love. That soothes my soul. This double bass. Nice. Yeah. I just want to get a double... I just want to get a bass drum and a double kick and just... What what better use for my fidgety feet? But that would just be so loud. Yeah, but what better use for my fidgety feet? Not fidgeting them? And I would not be on time. Like, it would not be, like, a perfect, like... It would be, like... <laughs> I... I... Like, I... Yeah. It pains me to think of... Like, not because you're... But just... Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> just adding like <laughs> you fidget so much or just adding a drum beat to that would just be like for fuck's sake it's like have you ever seen those videos of people giving crabs knives yeah <laughs> it's like it already has weapons you've given it more you idiot <laughs> like yeah. you already make enough noise yeah. why have you given him a drum and a double bass pedal you fucking jag oh that that would actually be pretty funny, but also it would, the humour would be lost very quick. I'd just be like, okay. <laughs> sort of the equivalent of like giving a kid a drum set or a recorder for Christmas and just like fucking... Anyway, so good. That's probably a good spot to just call it. Yeah. So and I think it's probably a hell yeah. Yeah, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, a plus plus... All around. I think I've said it on here as well. Just the Michael Scott line where he's like, I thought this was an A+, but then I remembered there's also A++. (laughs) Oh, Michael. So what are we looking at next week? Playing Favourites by the starting line from Punk Goes Acoustic Volume 1. Sick. Until then, thank you for listening. Uh, If you want to drop us a line, be it something positive, something negative. We truly don't care. Or something neutral. I want a neutral one. Yeah, just like, what would that, in, like, I can't even think of an example of just a neutral, like, I am sending you an email. 
Well, what's the line from Futurama where it's like someone, the, the neutral alliance or whoever they are, and it's like they think they're going to die and he's like, tell my wife hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter at PunkGoesPod. You can find us on Gmail at PunkGoesPod at gmail.com. Um, yeah, I don't know. If you see us in the street, chuck us a high five. You don't know what we look like, though, possibly. Anyway. Just, just chuck random people a high five and you'll eventually find us. <laughs> yeah. One day we'll be like, oh my god. But, uh, you know, anyway. Um, yeah. Cool. Stay in school. Don't do drugs.